10 days ago, people around the globe were shocked and saddened by the tragic events that unfolded here in New York City, in Washington, D.C., and outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Tonight, we come together for the first regular season professional sporting event in New York City since Tuesday, September 11th. It was an important sign of uh, normalcy returning to America. Nobody knew what the right time was or if it was the right time to come back. People wanted to find refuge in baseball. I'm Sammy Lipson. I'm 24. I grew up in White Plains. I remember I went to that game. It was a big deal, and it was very dramatic and somber. It was New York's first mass gathering since the attack 10 days earlier. 9-11 heroes lined the field as 41,000 fans came together in a show of strength and resolve. They have the skyline over the scoreboard. And I remember like looking around the stadium and they had, they had done everything. And I remember looking at that skyline and there was a ribbon over the Twin Towers there. And I remember at 11 being like, how did they remember to do that? People did not know how to react at the ballgame. There was all this hidden anxiety. But in the bottom of the eighth, with his team down by a run, Mets catcher Mike Piazza lifted the crowd in a triumphant salute to the city. Lopez wants it away. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Mike Piazza and the Mets lead 3-2. This place exploded. It's been waiting to explode all night. Well, Mike Piazza. Well, it was a great Great ending, you know, storybook ending. Uh, the home team coming back. Liza Minnelli was there. They made it like a really big deal. Like it was sad. And and then since then, I don't remember this from being there, but now when you watch the footage of it, it was like Mike Piazza hit the first home run and, and New York was back. And with that crack of the bat, spontaneously people stopped mourning and stood and cheered. When you see that clip now, you're like full of pride. Like it really, it is like a really picturesque moment that they make the moment or something but it really i don't you know it was just any other game oh it's so hard to remember welcome to never forget radio where from the comfort of your own home or your device and from the safety of the future we can revisit the memory of 9-11, of George W. Bush, and of all the years associated with both since. It's been over a decade of disappointment, failure, and disaster. I'm no expert, but I'll be your host as we explore our recent past and try to reclaim it. Let's roll. Welcome to part two of Never Forget Radio's series about sports after 9-11. Well, it's, it's, it's really not about sports, the games, the fans, the winners. It's really about sports as societal reflection, and especially about sports as maker and upholder of narratives of memory and history. And it's really not about 9-11. This series and this whole project is about 2011 as much as 2001. Called a delayed response to my feelings about the wave of memorialization of 9-11 and related events that happened at the 10-year anniversary. 
it was all wrong. I, I felt that the event and aftermath had been taken away from me. The narrative that was presented in 2011 about any facet of the event was one-sided and limited and didn't include anything that I believed. I was experiencing, even from within a place of privilege, a small taste of what conventional narratives of history do to marginalized groups all the time. And so, like any dominant narrative, this one needs to be displaced and muddled and queered piece by piece, slowly and episodically. I'm going to try to do it personally, DIYly, and copyright-defyingly. So we started with conventional retrospectives from HBO and MLB productions by way of fair use of historical footage for nonprofit educational purposes, counterbalanced by some reflections from my friend Sammy Lifson, not just out of a limited historical process, but because the events themselves don't matter now nearly as much as the way that they're presented and told and retold as history. The tragedy passed through and became tangled up within sports on its way from a news event to a historical event. Consider them as permeable abstractions or malleable narratives. 9-11 changed sports, and sports changed 9-11. The collision of a mortally complex geopolitical event with a reductionist, cephalopodically influential institution defined by a uniform patriotism, performative masculinity, conservative nostalgia, and simplistic narratives, win, lose, and how you play the game— has resulted in the emergence and sustenance of an uncomplex tragedy, perseverance, recovery narrative with unexamined heroes, villains, and victims. Lopez wants it away. And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run by Piazza and the Mets lead. Piazza is a significant figure in baseball history and an anecdotally important one in 9-11 history. But his story is also important in the history of homophobia in sports because of an episode that these media conglomerates decided not to tell in their retrospectives, because it would embarrass them and ruin their simple portrayal of fans uplifted by mystical baseball. It no longer even appears on his Wikipedia page. And we're going to take a look now at homoeroticism and homophobia in sports, but I didn't say we're going to look long and hard at homoeroticism in sports. I, instead, we're going to look without lazy jokes at homoeroticism in sports. In 2002, Bobby Valentine, the manager of the Mets, told a magazine interviewer, Baseball is probably ready for an out gay player. The players are a diverse enough group now that I think they could handle it. We are all big boys. We can handle it. Before the magazine was even published, the New York Post was insinuating that he was talking about star catcher Mike Piazza. I respect that you've chosen to listen to Never Forget Radio, and not sports talk radio. So I'm not going to play any of the historical hate speech related to this incident that I found easily available online. Nor am I going to parody sports talk radio. If I was going to go all, Welcome to Never Forget Sports Radio. I don't think I'd be saying anything. I, I think I'd really just be reinforcing the status quo. As a pillar of American masculinity, professional sports is a center of homophobic expression. But also, paradoxically, it's an intensely homoerotic space of male intimacy, fantasy, and domination. Spectrum models and queer theory would argue that very few of us fit perfectly or even well into the completely polarized and distinct identities that we're expected to fill in an act. But attempting to fulfill them, most men identify as 100% straight. And so what happens is that these other feelings that are real and natural and totally fine or at least they would be in a non-homophobic society, 
in our society, these normal queer feelings are constantly being repressed. They seep out subconsciously in forums like sports. This crowd was ready. They wanted to shout and scream all night. And boy, did they get an opportunity. Conventional men are only allowed to look at other men's bodies during sports, communal exercise, or porn, which I suspect is another reason for porn's ubiquitous importance to our lives. This place exploded. It's been waiting to explode. Piazza was so distracted and insulted by these rumors that he held a press conference where he declared, I'm not gay. I'm heterosexual. I can't control what people think. I date women. Why was Piazza the target of homophobic rumor mongers? I guess he broke with the social code a little bit with his physical presentation. He dyed his hair, he had a well-groomed mustache, indefinite accent, and you can hear him in these interviews. He's sort of soft-spoken and humble. People obviously found it a way to find some sort of joy or happiness or inspiration, you know, but, but for me, again, I try to keep it in perspective. Any deviations from the accepted norms of masculinity are heavily policed at every rung of society. And there's no mass language to describe these indefinite fluidities, and going to those jokes and attacks is a lot easier than self or societal examination. This Piazza as gay story had such reach that it showed up in a 2003 song by Scottish indie band Bell and Sebastian. San Francisco's calling us, the John Smiths will play. Piazza New York, catch your eye, you straighter, are you gay? The question is more complicated than that chorus. One can be not traditionally masculine and yet not fit into a binary gay orientation or identify as straight even though you're not performing masculinity in a societally acceptable way. In the aftermath of a tragedy, this internal constriction, which we understand as strength, is even more pushed down. People did not know how to react at the ballgame. There was all this hidden anxiety of let's continue to mourn and let's continue not to show any emotion other than mourning. Men don't have the social latitude to cry, mourn, or be afraid. I feel like I've got to cry, but i got to do my job. So I was torn. Following this dominant patriarchal pattern, I don't think the 9-11 tragedy was ever fully mourned or processed by most people in this country. Instead, most of their pent-up energy, emotion, and fear was transferred to support domestic repressions and foreign wars. And so I sort of agree with all this conventional hyperbole that we found in HBO and MLB. The home run, or the shared experience of cheering about it, really did help to heal the city. But not as a mystical reflection of the inspiring power of sports, but as a momentary break from the harshly policed social and emotional constriction of our patriarchal society. Lopez wants it away. And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Mike Piazza. It's like recess. Without recess, maybe you'd have an elementary school revolution. Because a break is built into the system, school children learn to wait and wait and fit their desires and freedoms into the time and place designated for them. So you can enjoy recess or sports as freeing experience, while also critically understanding them as clever exhaust valves in an exploitative superstructure. And recess isn't even a break for everyone. For a lot of kids, it's just a differently damaging constrictive system. And so I propose that sports after 9-11 paradoxically offered brief release from the demands of the dominant culture while providing the means for its reestablishment. Let's go to the seventh inning, about a half hour before 
Mike Piazza's home run. And stick around because Liza Minnelli is about to deliver her rendition of New York, New York. Miss Minnelli has invited some of tonight's honored guests to join her on the field. And if you watch the clip, which I've posted along with the episode, Liza appears to drag them out there. First, they kind of take this, like, very shouldery role, one on each side of her. They're escorting her, which is a role these men can understand. But then as she sings New York, New York, she gets them to get in a chorus line behind her and actually dance. And remember, if all men are constrained by the invisible uniform of masculinity, you can imagine the additional constraints when you add on to that obligatory societal uniform an actual institutional uniform. You can really see these men visibly struggling with Minnelli's invitation for them to release some of that masculine self-possession and actually express emotion. And when they start awkwardly dancing in a line and they start kicking their legs, you can see them look at each other amazed that they're doing this. When you watch this clip, you can really see a letting out of emotion that's not historical hyperbole. You can really see it when these few uniformed men do let go on national television, that this was a real thing. And during the song, there are wonderful shots of the crowd who are letting go and they're swaying and singing, Liza's singing. This is the real basis for the silly narrative, this instant of musical, regional, emotional identity. The song that healed the city. You can hear how worked up people got during the song in the seventh inning stretch. The game was tied one to one, but in the top of the eighth, a few minutes after she's finished singing, the Braves scored a run, and so the people who had just gotten caught up in this magical revival, this uncapturable moment that architects, copywriters, and event planners would spend the next decade trying to recreate, they became very subdued by the new and sudden likelihood that the Mets were gonna lose the game. their faltering hopes of making the playoffs, which playoff appearance they had already probably been historiographically remembering, as though it was being retold in the future as the playoff qualification that healed the city. The hypothetical playoff appearance that they had just now been daring to believe could hypothetically heal and then have in the future healed the city. And the crowd got as quiet and deflated as they'd been excited only a few moments earlier. And so in the bottom of the eighth, they were primed for such an emotional reaction to Mike Piazza's home run that they not only broke through the restrictions of performative masculinity to celebrate it, but so much so that it's become part of conventional history, not just sports history. You know, you half expect to see Bob Hope here because it feels like a USO yeah, show, doesn't it? Really it really does. What a rendition by... 
He couldn't have meant that ironically. But in the years since 9-11, Remembrance events have become like USO shows. As tired and safe as Bob Hope's jokes for soldiers, simulacra replicating the form of early models like this one at Chase Stadium, same songs, bagpipes, honoring of guys in uniform, without the real feelings that were magical and momentary. Instead, they're stoic and emotionless like societal masculinity, and obligatory and permanent, because sports is the most historical part of American life. People don't remember the last war, election, or superhero reboot, but they do remember 1908, 1918, 1986. Sports, like recess, is better remembered than history. The home run didn't heal the city. The narrative that as it was being written said, and as it is annually retold said, the home run healed the city. Healed the city. So perhaps HBO and MLB healed the city. Maybe I'm healing the city now. As historiographer Michel Trio reminds us in Silencing the Past, Power in the Production of History, We are all amateur historians with various degrees of awareness about our production. We also learn history from similar amateurs. Universities and university presses are not the only loci of production of the historical narrative. History has many hearts, and academics are not the sole history teachers in the land. Just listen to the jingle that MLB Productions plays at the beginning of their retrospective, where they make a more brutal juxtaposition than I ever will. Here's ten seconds of non-academic historical production where they brand and claim 9-11 for sports forever. Ten days ago, people around the globe were shocked and saddened by the tragic events that unfolded here in New York City, in Washington, D.C., and outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pastoral nostalgic baseball was a natural place to start codifying the rules of the post-9-11 world, which memorializers of subsequent American disasters have expertly mimicked. Here's my friend Sammy again on her experience at the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. They had a flag as big as the whole outfield, like, you know, with millions of uniformed service people unfurling this enormous flag. And it was, the whole, like, outfield was lined with people and families and first responders. 9-11 introduced new traditions into sports, a place where people were used to tradition, a place where traditions live forever. Please remain standing for the singing of the Star Spangled Banner, which was written by Francis Scott Key 187 years ago today. Our national anthem will be performed tonight by Mark Anthony. For example, when the U.S. went to war in 1917, baseball teams started to play the national anthem before every game. And this eager display of martial patriotism has never stopped, outlasting the war and all the original performers. Like Bob Hope, who did the same routines from World War II to the Gulf War, patriotic patterns established in the wake of 9-11 are going to influentially continue far beyond their original context. You always think of sports and USA chants. Like, when else are people going to chant USA? Like, it never... It doesn't make sense at a sports game when every team is American. <laughs> Armando Benitez got three outs in the top of the ninth, and the Mets won the game, and the home run became a finished narrative. No longer the go-ahead home run, but the home run that won the game and healed the city. And it still is. Sports narratives don't change a lot, but historical ones can and must Think about the backlash that grows stronger every year against Columbus or the monstrous escalating deification of Ronald Reagan. All history is is subtly changing narratives about the past to suit your present-day perspective. 
But in a stadium retrospective or uplifting documentary, the story can only be told one way, the simplest way, the first way it was experienced, the first way it was told, over and over. So this association with sports helps to bind conventional memory of 9-11 as fixed, immobile, as uncomplex as a home run, as unexamined as assumed heterosexuality, still just as powerfully able to influence policy, and as unchanged as it was in 2001. Today we've gone over a lot of ways to present history. Most of them are limited. This is too simple. Lopez wants it away. And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. This is too glossy. This is too aggressive. This is too nostalgic. Let's mash them all together. should be as tangled and messy as living in. Never Forget Radio is a production of Bookstyle Publications, currently located in West Philadelphia. Music for this episode was provided by Liza Minnelli, Old Table, Mark Anthony, Bell and Sebastian, and the Kingston Trio. Special thanks to Gatsby, Mordecai, Harry, Emily, and to me, Sammy Lipson. Please send your sports feelings to Never Forget Radio on iTunes, Facebook, Gmail, Bandcamp, or Tumblr, or Never Forget Pod on Twitter. All of our episodes can be downloaded for free, but if you'd like to support this project, please feel free to donate any amount. Today's quote is from Bob Hope entertaining the troops in Vietnam in 1966. Now, I have real good news for you. I want to tell you guys, the country's behind you 50%. Thank you, and never forget.